We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Coming at you Wednesday night after the Timberwolves lost to the Milwaukee Bucks, 130 to 105. Don't worry, I am not going to talk about that game on tonight's pod. I can't, just can't. There was uh there was nothing there. I don't want to say it was uh the most boring game I've ever covered because I've I've covered some bad Timberwolves teams over the years, but what I can say is that the sequence of Tuesday's blowout loss to the Nets, followed up by the loss to the Bucks, is definitely the worst. I mean, you watched it, or maybe some of you watched it. It was the worst back-to-back games that I think I've covered in a long time. No fans, no energy, no competitiveness. It was it was pretty brutal. I mean, somehow the Timberwolves are it was thirty the first night, twenty-five the second. Night. They're they're down a combined fifty-five points this week, and it's only. And it's only Wednesday. So instead of talking about that game specifically, I thought we would we talk about the players who played in that game. And that was that was basically the role players. Carl Anthony Towns missed the game, again, due to uh, personal reasons. So it was pretty much just Anthony Edwards and Jade McDaniels out there of the kind of core guys and, and then role players because Chris Finch pretty much shut down D'Angelo Russell um, once the game got out of hand. So obviously Malik Beasley's out of there too. That's your core group, right? Cat, D'Lo, Beasley, Edwards, McDaniels. The other guys are, the other 10 players on the roster are, they're the role players. So so tonight, I want to pose the question of, do they make any sense on this team beyond this season? For each of those 10 guys. And those 10 guys are Ricky Rubio, Josh Okogie, Nas Reed, Jordan McLaughlin, Jared Vanderbilt, Juancho Ornan Gomez, 
Ed Davis, Jalen Noel, Jake Lehman, and Jarrett Culver. And the place to start, I think, is, is with the, the highest paid player of that group. And that's Ricky Rubio. So, does Ricky Rubio make sense on the team beyond this season? Well, with Ricky, unlike I, I think a lot of the rest of these guys who you know are making you know around five million bucks or less, uh, the place to start with Rubio is by talking about his contract. I mean, he is he's set to make seventeen point eight million dollars next year, and then um, then his contract will expire and he'll become an unrestricted free agent. Um, so roughly eighteen million dollars on the books next season, and that is. That's meaningful. That's different. It's it's a it's a different proposition with him than it is for you know Josh Okoge who makes like four million bucks. So obviously, I think we all know that if Ricky Rubio were a free agent this summer, he wouldn't get eighteen million dollars on on the open market. So is is he worth eighteen million dollars? Is that a good salary for Ricky Rubio? The answer to that is obviously no. But Rubio making sense on this team is more about what you could spend that money on instead, right? That's kind of the proposition here. And let's start by saying this, that, you know, maybe for those of you who don't understand what the Wolves salary cap situation is, that they can't just dump Rubio somewhere and then have $18 million, you know, to spend in free agency. They they don't have, they're, they're, they're already, they're way over the salary cap. They don't, they wouldn't have that money. It wouldn't make the difference. I mean, hypothetically, let's say just the, the Pacers or something, or, or they're cool with just taking on Rubio's salary for nothing. Well, even if that's the case, if, if Rubio's salary magically disappears, the Wolves would still be over the salary cap for next season. That might sound crazy to you, but remember, the only expiring contracts on the Wolves this summer, the only ones, are Ed Davis, $5 million, and Jared Vanderbilt's $1.7 million. The rest of the money... I mean, Jordan McLaughlin, I guess he's on a two-way too, so, but that money doesn't count. The rest of the money on the roster, that carries over. So even without Rubio on the books, the Wolves would still be a million dollars over the salary cap if they magically deleted his contract. So if dumping Rubio doesn't give you cap space to sign a new one, you know, that obviously hurts. But what it would give them is space under the luxury tax line which would open up the possibility of using the mid-level exception this summer without you know, going into the luxury tax. And if you don't know what the mid-level exception is, it's something every team gets to use every summer. It's about nine million, up to nine million bucks where you can go over the salary cap to sign free agents. Now, if the Wolves don't dump Rubio, it's, you know, it's harder to use that mid-level or they, they wouldn't be able to use it without going into the tax. So that's kind of the opportunity cost here, right? You get rid of Rubio, now you can use the mid-level. And so what does the mid-level normally get? I mean, remember this past summer, it was guys like Jay Crowder signed for the mid-level, Derek Jones Jr. They sent, those were both full mid-level guys. So that's really, I guess, the free agency upside of dumping Rubio is potentially being able to get a guy like that. Another factor here, I think, with Rubio financially is the possibility that the Wolves keep their pick this summer. If they do keep that top three pick, obviously that's great. But now you're adding another nine or ten million dollars, depending if that's you know one, two, or three pick in the draft. I mean, top picks are expensive. So if that happens, that's another ten million on the books that aren't accounted for. I mean, this that almost forces your hand to dump Rubio. I mean, keeping Rubio and retaining the pick, and the Wolves are like 
six, seven million dollars into the luxury tax. That's that's not happening. Dump Rubio though, and the Wolves would be able to draft that player in the top three and be able to sign a mid-level player, and they could, you know, would need to cut like a million or two million dollars, and they'd be able to wiggle under the tax. That's possible. But it's obviously is no guarantee that the Wolves keep that pick, right? I mean, there's a, at least a 60% chance that they don't keep it. And I guess, you know, if the cookie crumbles that way, the question is more simple. You know, it's just straight up Rubio or the mid-level exception. The Wolves would basically need to pick between those two options when it comes to, you know, constructing this roster next year. So that's, you know, that's not as easy as Jay Crowder versus Ricky Rubio. I mean, Jay Crowder... Signing this summer's Jay Crowder would cost you a four-year, $40 million contract. You know, that's a different proposition. At least with Rubio, his contract expires after a year. So I think because that's not clear-cut Rubio versus the mid-level, you got to kind of dig deeper and ask, you know, what, what would Rubio bring on the court to the Wolves next year? And obviously this would be in a backup role to D'Angelo Russell. And, and I think... We all have a pretty good feel of what Rubio is, but when we, when we talk about his fit and we talk about justifying it, I think there's, there's two things that can make an argument for Rubio if the answer you know, is yes. Is Rubio, one, is Rubio really helping Anthony Edwards' development? And two, can Rubio play next to D'Angelo Russell? So let's start with two, Rubio and D'Lo. You know, a simple overall scan of the numbers this season say that you know Rubio and D'Lo on the floor together has been a disaster you know they've they've, they shared the floor for 180 minutes and in those minutes the Wolves have a terrible net rating of minus 15.2 it's terrible offensive rating and even worse defense but if you split for the six games here since D'Lo's come back from an from his injury their net rating is actually really good when those two have been on the floor plus 11.6 Really good offense, still pretty bad defense. But even if you now, if you take out these last two games against Brooklyn and Milwaukee, it's even better. In those first four games, the net rating with Rubio and D'Lo on the floor was plus thirty-one point eight. Yeah, in those first four games after D'Lo came back, the Wolves had an offensive rating of one hundred and fifty with Rubio on the floor together. If this isn't making any sense to you you understand there's obviously a catch here, and that's the fact that those guys have not shared the floor together very much. In those first four games, D'Lo and Rubio only shared the floor for 30 total minutes, you know, about eight minutes a night. And in these last two games, they've only shared the floor together for seven total. So we're talking about a grand total of 37 minutes of time that those numbers are generated from that D'Lo and Rubio have shared the floor. I mean, that's the definition of a small sample, you know, and it's certainly not enough to, you know, convince us that the larger number of minutes when Rubio and Dilo were on the floor at the beginning of the season, I mean, that does not dispel how negative that was. I mean, there's just, there are just still major questions about how those two pair together. I mean, Gerson Rosas, when he talked after the deadline, he said as much. I think the case for keeping Rubio is stronger when you attach him to Anthony Edwards. You know, numbers aside, I think we would all agree that there's been some real veteran mentorship sort of value here between Rubio and Edwards. But the numbers do not help Rubio's case with that. While Edwards, 
He shared the floor with Rubio more than anyone else on the team. He still spent 40% of his minutes, 40% of his non-garbage time minutes this season without Rubio on the floor, according to Cleaning the Glass. And the Wolves' numbers are almost exactly the same when Edwards is on the floor with Rubio versus when Edwards is on the floor without Rubio. The offensive rating is 110 in both situations, and the defensive rating is just a point apart. 119 with Rubio, 118 without Rubio. Overall, when the two are on the floor together, it's a net rating of minus 8.7. When it's just Ant, it's a net rating of minus 7.1. It's the same. And I got to say, I, I think that meets the eye test, right? I I wouldn't say that I feel Rubio's presence, you know, brings anything particularly special out of Ant. And I wouldn't say I think Ant is worse with Rubio on the floor either, but I don't know. It, it doesn't feel appreciably better. Those numbers seem fair to me. And so then if it's at best an open question whether or not Rubio and Russell can share the floor together, and if it's not clear-cut that Edwards noticeably benefits on the floor from playing with Rubio, I mean, then it's just hard to make the case that Rubio should be on the roster next season if you can, in fact, find a way to get off of him. Is there a way to reasonably dump Rubio this summer? I don't know. I mean, that's a hefty salary. Some team would have to want him but if you can I I think just given where the Wolves are at given how Rubio fits with this group I think you gotta I think you gotta pull the trigger and if you somehow do keep the pick in this draft that 40% chance then your hand is almost forced to move on from Rubio because you're just gonna be way too high into the luxury tax if not all right moving on next up on the list is Jarrett Culver so, again, same question. Does Jarrett Culver make sense on the Wolves beyond this season? Well, Culver, Culver is set to make $6.4 million next season. And then a decision Gerson Rosas has to make before next season starts is whether or not he wants to pick up Culver's $8.1 million team option for his fourth year. And really, I don't know how you can... You could say that Culver makes sense next season if you think that that fourth-year option is a bad price to pay. You know, if Rosas did turn down that fourth-year option, which I think pretty much everyone would say is, you know, the right move, then it, keeping Culver on the roster for the third year kind of in a as a lame duck, I mean, that, that certainly doesn't seem like it would be good for his confidence. Confidence is pretty important for him. I mean... If that's the case, if you're not picking up the fourth year, I don't think Culver makes any sense just from a, I don't know, human standpoint on the Wolves next year. And and if I treated Rubio as a, you know, a reasonable proposition that he could be dumped, which I don't know, maybe some of you disagree with that. Sorry if you do, but just talking hypothetically here. If it's reasonable to say that they could get off Rubio fairly easily, I mean... I think it's fair to say they could get off of Culver in a dump type way, you know, pretty easily. Maybe they need to attach a second round pick to it. But I think if you do that, you know, I mean, maybe it, it ends up looking if you if you're trying to trade Culver and you're willing to attach a second round pick to it, maybe it kind of looks like what the Wolves did this summer when they dumped Amari Spellman and Jacob Evans, right? In that deal, they they traded Spellman, Evans, and a second round pick to the New York Knicks. And they got back Ed Davis. And I wonder if you can't get like that same type of deal with Culver, but like more juiced up. 
you know, swapping out Culver for a bench vet on another team that that team doesn't have much use for, like Davis in New York. I mean, I don't know. If the Wolves attached a second to Culver, you know, they could bring back, I don't know, what, what five to $8 million player could they bring back? Would Denver do that for Jermichael Green, who's set to make $7.6 million next season? I don't know. I, would the Kings do Culver and a second for DeLon Wright, who's set to make $8.5 million next season? I mean, I think this would be more than a second, maybe a first, but would you? what would you need to attach to Jarrett Culver to get Chris Boucher from Toronto? Boucher is set to make $7 million next year, and that one's probably a first-round pick. You know, shout out to Daniel White from our little – Locker room app chats. He brought up that idea. But I think that's kind of like, that's an optimistic view of what you can do with Culver this summer is hope some teams still see some value in him as, you know, the former sixth overall pick. Add a little bit of flavor to it, throw in a second round draft pick. I mean, maybe you can get something back that's somewhat interesting, less of a less of a prospect for that. You know, the Greens, right, something like that. But just, I mean, that's just all to say that from a basketball standpoint, Culver does not make much sense on this team next season if we're looking for these type of deals. I mean, this year, Culver's shooting has gotten worse, and so has his ability to attack the basket. It's, it's, it's really fallen apart. Culver's now shooting 24% from three on the year, and he actually ranks dead last in the NBA of all players who have ran over 30 pick and rolls this season. 0.312 points per possession. I think the question with Culver isn't, whether or not he should be on the team next year, it's how can you effectively get off, get him off the roster this summer? We're going to take a quick break and then hit on the other seven role players on the Wolves. We'll get through those a little bit quicker. Have you ever said to yourself, I love the fact that I've had the same pair of sheets since just after college and I've never liked them? but I keep washing them every week and putting them back on the bed just like it's totally normal. Well, stop it. Brooklinen can make that voice in your head and the bad sheets on your bed go away. Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to boost their home essentials in a way that didn't cost them an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen, which is the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without luxury-level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They're so confident you will love their products that they even have a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooklinen is also so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, they've got pillows, towels, loungewear, more. So go to brooklinen.com and use promo code MORE, my last name, M-O-O-R-E, to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more. Plus, you get free shipping. That's Brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code MORE to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more and free shipping. Brooklinen.com and use promo code MORE at checkout. All right, to knock off a few of those seven players right away with, we'll call them yeses, let's say yes to Nas Reed, Jalen Noel, and Jordan McLaughlin. Let's say they make sense on the team next season. I went pretty deep on those three last week, talking about how their kind of values at the minimum. I mean, Reed and Noel are already on minimum contracts for the next two seasons. They make enough basketball sense that their minimum contracts, you know, 
are they're good for a financially pinched Timberwolves team. I mean, McLaughlin, I think, is more of a question mark. Is he is he worth a minimum contract? I don't know. I could, I could go either way on the question of McLaughlin being worth a minimum. But if it you know if it's for the minimum, I'll say fine to J Mac. Bring him back next year, third string point guard. Cool. They're going to need to fill out the bottom of the roster one way or the other with minimum deals. So let's move on to the more interesting ones, or ones I haven't talked about recently. Wancho Hernan Gomez. I guess I didn't go in exact money order here because Wancho is actually set to make a little bit more than Culver next season. Wancho Wancho is on the books for seven million next year, and then seven point five the year after that. But that second season is non guaranteed, so I think functionally for Wancho it's a seven million dollar deal that's then going to be expiring. So does Wancho Hernan Gomez make sense on the Wolves next year? If the answer is no, which I think it probably is, I mean, this will be another interesting test for Gerson Rosa's, you know, kind of willingness to admit a mistake, you know. I wouldn't say it's so much the trading for Wancho was a mistake, but, I mean, obviously this Wancho isn't a guy who would get $7 million on the market this next summer. That is proving to have been at least somewhat of an overpay. So I think maybe that's the question with, with Wancho. Is it worth it to pay to get off of him? And I think, I think the, the, if the defense wasn't such a glaring weakness, I think the answer would be no. But given how poor Wancho's defense has been since he came to the team last year, it's just hard to say that he makes much sense on this you know, defense-deprived roster. I mean, Wancho was a good shooter last year. You know, after after the trade deadline, he made 42% of his threes in 14 games. But this year, in 37 games, he's only made 33% of his threes. And, I mean, that's his role offensively, right? Like, catch and shoot, maybe slash a little bit. And he just hasn't, I don't know, he hasn't even really been average at either of those things. And that's not good for, you know, a stretch four. I mean, you, you could, if he did stick around next year, you could get me to bet on the idea that his shooting numbers are better. But I, I still would just go back to the defense. I mean, the Wolves have been awful defensively both seasons when Wancho's been on the floor. They're five points per 100 possessions better this year when Wancho sits. ESPN's defensive real plus minus statistic, I mean, it shines just as poorly on him. He ranks 76th a month amongst 87 power forwards in the NBA. I mean, the problem really is he's playing the four and he just can't really defend in the post at all. And you, you can see opponents seeking it out. I, I, it stood out to me in the Brooklyn game on Tuesday. I mean, it was just so blunt by Jeff Green where he would see Wancho was on him and he would immediately just go to the block and post up, you know, demand the ball there. And I think sometimes that's almost the... That's almost the best way to judge a player defensively is by how opponents, you know, view them as, <laughs> I don't, view how much they get in the way. I, I don't think, I don't think players really view Wancho as much hindrance to their ability to score. One thing I've liked with Wancho recently is he started to play alongside Jade McDaniels a little bit, and that makes him, you know, more of a small forward, I guess you call McDaniels the four there and that that works a little bit better if Wancho was around more or just for the rest of the year I'd like to see more of that I think McDaniels can provide a little bit of defensive cover in that pairing 
but still, I mean, we're, we're really mining for positives here. I mean, overall, Wancho's contract has just, it's aged poorly enough that he's at the point where I think the answer is obvious that does he make sense on this team at that number next year? No, but it's just aged so poorly that I think he might be back on the team simply because the cost of getting off of him, it would just be too great. All right, next up we got Josh Okogie. Does Josh Okogie make sense on the Timberwolves next season? I think the answer there is pretty clearly yes. Okogie will be on the fourth and final year of his rookie contract next year, making $4.1 million. And I think the answer is yes because, you know, we know what Okogie is and what he isn't. You know, he's he, he can be a strong wing defender who brings that chaotic energy and fight at a position that the Wolves, you know, sorely need that. He's obviously similarly chaotic to his detriment on the offensive end. I mean, particularly when he goes to the rim. So he's not a plus offensive player. And, you know, obviously that's largely because he's not a shooter. And the, the shooting, though, I think it's, it's worth noting. The shooting's gotten better under Finch, actually, today against Milwaukee. He made three of his four three-pointers. And, and I think what I like most about Josh's um, shift in his shooting late, lately is one, I think the stroke, he's gotten a little bit more comfortable with the mechanics. He's got the confidence in it. It isn't a terrible looking shot, right? But I think the biggest thing with Akogi is where he's shooting his threes from and how often he's shooting them. I mean, a big problem I had with Akogi under Saunders was he was taking not only corner threes, but above the break threes too. Under Finch, now Akogi is shooting, has actually shot more corner threes than he's shot above the break threes. And in that, you know, if Akogi is just shooting corner threes, like there's a world in which he's passable offensively. You know, he's make a third of those, 33%. Like, okay, you're not a, you're not devastating the offense, not devastating the spacing. I think the reason Akogi makes sense on like, on the next iteration of the Timberwolves is because he just makes sense in a bench role, right? I mean, currently, Okoge starts a lot. He started 27 of the 43 games he's played in this season. I don't think Josh Okoge is a starter in the NBA. But in a bench role and only at $4 million bucks, I mean, I think, I think Josh is a completely fine eighth or ninth man on a team that, you know, has their eyes on making the playoffs. All right, next up, Jake Lehman. Does Jake Lehman make sense on the Timberwolves next season? Well, he's under contract for $3.9 million next year. So unless he's moved at the draft or, or in the offseason, Lehman will be back. I think what we've learned about Lehman over the past few seasons is that he's overmatched as a starter, uh, particularly at the power forward position. I think the Wolves have pretty well given up on the power forward Lehman experiment but I think it's fair to say that Lehman makes some sense as a bench guy you know a, a bad sign for Lehman I guess is that he's on the, the team with the worst record in the NBA I mean he's already out of the rotation he's been out of the rotation pretty consistently since the all-star break I mean Finch goes to him sometimes to try and get a spark but he's pretty much only playing real minutes if the Wolves have numerous players injured I mean, Lehman's kind of gotten that Ed Davis treatment, right? Like, he could probably help the Wolves given 
what else they're running out there. But given that he's not exactly young anymore, you know, it's pretty clear that playing Lehman isn't exactly a priority for this team. I could see a world where the Wolves, you know, make moves this offseason, though, and, you know, they make the roster even more top-heavy, put more resources into the starting lineup, and then the bench is just thin on money. I mean, if you got a bunch of minimum guys on the roster next year, I mean, I, I could – I could see Lehman, you know, being the ninth man for four million bucks. I think that, you know, there's a world where that makes sense. But, you know, more like than than not, Lehman's role, if he's on the team next season, is that of a, you know, out of the everyday rotation player. And if that's the conclusion you come to with any player, I mean, I think the answer to does he make sense on the team, you know, it, the answer's the answer's just kind of no. So that's kind of where Lehman's at at this point. The last two guys, the last two names on the roster are Ed Davis and Jared Vanderbilt. I'm going to do those two together because I think they both well, they both play the same position and they're both on expiring contracts, the only two expiring contracts. Davis will be an unrestricted free agent while Vanderbilt will be a restricted free agent. Does either player make sense on the Wolves next year? Probably not. I mean, I think if the Wolves have any concern, if the, if the Wolves are trying to make the playoffs next year, we talked about that. I think it was on the last episode. We talked about this. Like, they got to ask themselves, you know, are we okay with Nas Reed being the backup center to Cat? You know, playing 15 minutes a night. And and if they're not okay with that, if they don't believe Nas can be relied on that, you know, in that role for a playoff team, then you know, there's a there's a role where they have to address backup center in the off season with some sort of you know cheap backup big. And then maybe, you know, sliding Nas into more of like a combo big role, if anything. And if the Wolves bring on another big, I mean, then that just, that rules out Davis or Vanderbilt, you know, even if it's on the minimum. If they don't sign or draft another big and Nas is the backup center, I guess you could make sense for signing one of the two to the minimum. But with Davis, it just kind of feels like he's destined to be a backup center on you know, if he's going to be a third big on a team, it makes sense that he'd be the third center on, like, the Brooklyn Nets. And with with Vanderbilt, I just think I think he's just more of a power forward than he is a center. And his type of power forwarding, it's just, it just pretty clear that it doesn't really fit the Finch and Rosa's vision for that position. I personally, I'd be pretty surprised to see either player back this summer. And... And if for some reason it costs more than the minimum to bring back either of them, then signing Davis or Vanderbilt to more than the minimum would be a super bizarre use of resources, in my opinion. So that's the rundown. Those are the current role players on the Wolves. If, you know, if so many of them weren't under contract for next season, I think there would be I think there would be a strong case to move on from most all of them, not re-sign them. I mean this roster feels like it could use a shakeup at the bottom. I mean, the group is just kind of talent poor, right? Not that there aren't some good players in the mix there, but one thing when I just think about this bench is is this idea that they've had plenty of time to play together this season. I mean, there's been injury after injury after suspension, and a lot of these bench guys have been available for most of the year, and they have never, this team has never found any sort of second unit identity and to me 
you know, that's a pretty big indictment. That probably just indicates that you're not good enough. Obviously, Gerson Rosa's, you know, he prioritized continuity at the trade deadline, and he kept a lot of these guys around for, you know, continuity reasons. I'll be interested to see how much value Rosas puts in that continuity when it comes to this offseason and, you know, addressing who the role players are on this team. All right, that's all I got for you tonight. The Wolves are back at it Friday at home against the Miami Heat. I'm not sure if that will be another 3 o'clock game or if they'll go at the 7 p.m. start time. I mean, it's been a hell of a week. Bad luck. <laughs> Bad luck of a week to have a homestand. I mean, not that, not that you fans missed anything against Brooklyn or Milwaukee this week, but it's still a bummer that there've only, I mean, there's only been two home games now that fans have been able to attend this year, and there just aren't many left the rest of the season on the schedule. With or without fans, I will talk to you Friday night after the Heat game, and Britt will join me to chat bigger picture on Saturday afternoon. So look out for both of those pods. Till then, thank you for sticking with me through. This week of just very poor Timberwolves basketball. I'll talk to you on Friday. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops. Yeah. Green it all so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever out.